0: question early on when we first started this is, you know, how would you feel if you found out that there was a network of people that have banded together to ruin your life? How would you feel if there was a network of people who would join together in your community to rob you of your health, to get in the way of your friendships, relationships that are supposed to bless you? Uh, What if you found out that these people were responsible for the darkest and most difficult moments of your life. How, how do you think that you would feel about that? Uh, you probably would not be very happy. Uh, it would probably cause you to worry. Like, why are these people stalking me? Please leave me alone. I need to put out a restraining order. Whatever. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Is that Paul actually tells you that such a band exists. And this band is not a band of people necessarily in our community. But they are principalities. And there are spiritual forces that live in the heavenly realms. And we are at a in a high-stakes spiritual war that that the enemy is constantly working against you. He's constantly working against your life, working against your marriage, working against your success, your your career, your your kids. He's constantly working against your, your health and your ability to, to stay in a position in a place where God wants you to be and, and you have to recognize that you are in this position and so we are a, in a, in a war we are in a high stake spiritual war and so Paul tells us because of this war we've got to arm ourselves and we have to stand against the schemes and the wiles and the and the things that the enemy tries to bring against us yes you have a responsibility, okay, to stand against the enemy. You do, all right. And so we've gone through uh, several parts and aspects. The first one is gird yourself with the the belt of truth. It put on the girdle of truth, and that's this this belt is of the, the you know Paul used the Roman armor as a, as a symbolic or a metaphor of, of the armor of God. And this, this girdle was the thing that, that kind of held all the armor. It held everything together. The, the breastplate, it had a little place where you could put the shield of faith. And it kind of was the centerpiece of everything. It, it also protected the reproductive organs of, 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 of a person when they were in battle. And, and, and truth, Jesus said, the truth will set us free. It puts us in a position when we know truth, when we understand truth, when we live according to truth, it helps everything else fit into place. It helps everything else work right. And we know that the word of God is the truth and, and we have to understand that. We talked about the breastplate of righteousness and how righteousness is a gift. You don't earn righteousness. You can't be good enough to be righteous. As a matter of fact, the, you know, God says that your righteousness, your best moment on your best day, in your best position, your righteousness is like filthy rags to God. All right? But our righteousness that we have is something that God gives us. And so, what the enemy tries to do is he tries to uh, cause us to live in condemnation. I'm not good enough. Or look at what I did. Or look at what you did. And we live in this condemnation and we make mistakes and we fail and we fall short. And then we do what like Adam and Eve did and we run and we hide from God. We feel like that we have to pay penance for our sin. Like, well, you know, I, you know I, I can't really lift my hands to worship God right now because I just wasn't the greatest person this past week. And, and this, this is not God. What God's what going to tell you not to worship him or something. But this is what we do in our mind. We feel like, well, I, I just, I'm not a good person or I just didn't do good or I failed and I made this. All right, You have to understand, okay, so your righteousness is not based upon how good you were this past week. Your righteousness is based upon what Christ did for you on the cross. And God gives you his righteousness. And you have to put on that breastplate of righteousness so that you can live and walk in the righteousness of God. And you can be confident in who God has made you be. Last week we talked about the shoes of peace, to put on these shoes. And we talked about the, the, uh, the, the Roman armor and how, how peace, uh, there are two kinds of Peace. It's peace with God and the peace of God. When we come to God, when we come to Christ and 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 we follow him, we receive peace with God because of our repentance and his forgiveness. The peace of God is much, because we can have peace with God and live in a position where we don't have the peace of God. And, and the Roman shoes, okay, they're, 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 they were war shoes. That means peace will not come to you just because you hope that you have peace. You actually have to fight for peace. And so what the enemy does is the enemy tries to attack us in our mind to rob us of our peace. He tries to attack you in your mind to rob you of your peace. And you have to fight for peace. You have to fight for it so that you can live in the peace of God. The Bible says let the peace of God guard your heart. Okay? The peace of God helps guard us so we have to Walk in that peace. And so today, uh, we're going to look at the next the next armor here. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's one of the things that we pointed out last week that one of the tactics of the enemy in our life Okay, is to cause us to be mad at people. Okay, As long as you are focused on being mad at people, you won't be focused on fighting the enemy, which is the devil. So what we do is we fight people. We fight our spouses. We fight our kids. We fight our employers, our employees. We fight our coworkers. We fight our neighbors, our family members. We're fighting all kinds of people. And one of the things the enemy wants to do is to cause you to fight people. God doesn't want you to fight people. He wants you to understand that if there's division, if there's strife, that there's a particular reason, a spiritual reason why there's that strife. And so here our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness. And against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the devil. Listen, so that you... Will be able to resist the devil uh, in the evil day, and having done everything, stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So today we're going to talk about the shield of faith. Now, the Roman shield, okay, if you were just to do a quick Google search on Roman shields, you will find many different examples. But one of the things that Paul is actually referring to is when he's talking about this shield, the one that he's using as a metaphor is this, this shield that was more of like this, it wasn't the Captain America type shield that was like this little bitty round frisbee thing that he they held on this arm. No, this thing was like... It was almost square and almost the size of, uh, of, of, of the Roman soldier. Maybe not so much, but more so that they could stand behind this shield and the shield would cover all of their body. The shield had six different layers of leather, okay. It was composed of this small strip of wood and six different layers of leather that would, that would be a part of it. And what this did was this made this extremely strong uh, and durable. It kept arrows from being able to pierce through uh, this particular thing. And it also made it extremely lightweight. So it wasn't they were carrying this this big old hunk of metal around with them. If you can imagine trying to carry a big piece of metal or something, that would not be very conducive when you're in war and you're trying to fight a battle. Uh, You know, if you can imagine getting yourself worn out, It was something that was actually, they actually used leather. Its strength was from the leathers, layers, uh, leathers, uh, that were put together from its thickness and its strong material. It's almost like it was laminated together. That's how they made these shields. It was square. It was a square-like shield that has something like a latch on each of the edges where the soldiers could stand next to one another and they could connect their shields. They're almost like they had like little hinges or something on, this, on, the, on the, the edges of these particular shields, the edges and even on the top where they could actually stand together and these soldiers could stand together. They could put their shields and they could actually latch them together so it's not like you're in war and you're like, oh, wow, and, and then this shield moves and creates this big crevice and now it's like you're all exposed to the enemy. But they would actually latch these shields together. You could actually see uh, several examples of this, they have, uh, you know, pictures and stuff, and you could see this where the soldiers, they could stand, um, you know, and they could put their shields together side by side, and then the soldiers who stood behind those could take their shields and hold them above their head, and they could latch them there, and they would create this, like, shell that would follow them, and they could walk into battle, and it could, would, would protect them from, you know, the enemy's air assaults in particular. You see, the arrow was one of the greatest forms of air assault in that particular day. You know, they didn't have missiles. They didn't have planes and helicopters and all this kind of stuff. They didn't have that ability, all right. So the only way that they could actually attack somebody from the air was by using the arrow, all right. It was by shooting arrows. And during war times, the enemy... Could launch so many arrows in the air at one time that they could literally cover the sky. There's been some recent um, movies that have come out that have actually been a pretty good depiction of this, where these people, they were if they were in war and they were attacking, they would have all these archers back there, and they would all and they would release them at the same time, and these arrows would just and they would cover the sky. Now imagine being yourself in a position where all of these arrows are flying through. This isn't one of these things where you're just going to be like, whew, you know, dodge. And little Captain America shield is not going to protect you from, you know, a thousand arrows flying through the sky at you. It's just, you know, I'm sorry, Captain America. You know, one of them, you know, you're going to get hit, man, if that many arrows are flying through the sky. They could literally cover the sky from these th- this assault. Um, and when this happens, when this is happening, all of your body armor doesn't even matter. You'll forget about your little belt of truth. Forget about your breastplate of righteousness and, and, and your little, your shoes that are covering your shins and your calf and your, your feet. Forget about your little helmet. Let's be honest. There's going to be cracks somewhere in the armor. And you have that many arrows flying through the sky and about to land on top of you. It doesn't really matter what you're wearing on your body anymore. One of going to get through. One of is going to get through. <clears throat> you know, uh, there, are, there are videos, I actually watched a couple this week, videos on YouTube that show the power of the bow and arrow. Did you know, I, 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 I you know, I honestly, not that it really matters, but I was really kind of blown away by this. That the arrow, the bow and arrow, is more powerful than a gun. I, I watched two videos in particular. One of them was an old World War II video, where they took three different guns. They took uh, a handgun, they took a carabiner, a carabiner, whatever, and they took another. Um, um, they took another machine gun, and they took this little bucket. And they put three different layers. They, they put sand and then a, a, a layer board and then sand and then a layer board and then sand and then the back. And they took all three of those guns and they shot all three of those guns into that bucket. Now the handgun didn't even make it through the first phase. The next one made it through the first one, not the second one. And the, and the third one made it through both of them but didn't even pierce the, this little bucket of, of sand. Then they took a bow and arrow and he pulled out that, that bow and arrow and he shot that arrow and that arrow went right through the bucket there was a more modern one a guy out he he wanted to kind of make a more modern version of that he took just a five gallon bucket of sand that he put in there and he took a glock uh, out there and what he did is he he had a glock and he shot his glock uh with uh, uh, a full metal jacket ammo and he shot this this glock right into the middle of it and then he took uh, a bow and arrow a compound bow that he had which wasn't even, he said, it wasn't even my best compound bow, just one that he kind of toodles with and just, you know, something that's just kind of fun for him. It's not even his most powerful one. And he took three different arrows, three different different arrows with three different tips. All right. And he shot all three of these arrows into this little gallon, five-gallon bucket filled with sand. And all three of the arrows went through the bucket. Now, it didn't go all the way through, but the, the tip came out the other end. When he shot the gun, the gun didn't go all the way through. The Glock didn't. As a matter of fact, he actually dug down to find out where his shell was for, I mean, where his bullet was that entered into the bucket. And the bullet hadn't even gone halfway through the bucket. This is how powerful, okay, an an arrow is, a bow and arrow, all right. Um, You know, the Comanche Indians, the Comanche Indians had the ability Uh, With the bow and arrow, when hunting a bison, that they could be out hunting uh, a bison and they could take this bow and arrow, when they're hunting bison, they'll be riding these horses and they will shoot these bison and these bow and arrows that they had were so powerful that the arrow would literally go through the entire bison. The rough, the, the rough skin that they have, this arrow would literally go all the way through, all right? Um, As a matter of fact, as late as in World War II, special unit groups actually used the bow and arrow in combat. Because obviously they were much quieter and their ability to be stealth and some of the things they were doing. Even as late as World War II, the special special forces units actually carried around with them bows and arrows. Even in the middle of, of a war where they were using guns, they still saw the value, the high value of using a bow and arrow. You know, it's, it's interesting because for the longest time, you see, uh, one of the struggles between cowboys and Indians and, and stuff like this is that that these these that they one of the things that they say is that a Comanche Indian could shoot one arrow and then get off six more arrows before that arrow ever hits the ground. That's how fast that they were able to shoot arrows. And they had such an incredible advantage against most of the cowboys back in the day because before they had guns that could shoot multiple rounds, these guys would get bunkered up, and they would shoot once, and then the Indians would start going crazy, because they know they got to take the thing, they got stuck out, and look at this, all right, and then, you know, that Indian's on top of you, and he's like, you know, and you're, you're toast, and one of the things that, that changed that is when they first created the revolver, all right, this revolver gun that was able to shoot more than once And these, and the Indians didn't know about it, and what happened was, is, they shot one time, the Indians thought, hey, we got them now, they shot, they're going to have to reload, and they started charging them, and then they were to shoot, and they actually called it the gun that speaks twice. It was actually the first ever battle, Was called the Indians called it the, the battle of the gun that speaks twice, uh, because they weren't used to it. it, actually flipped the scale where now the gun became the most powerful weapon when you were using it in war and stuff. But the arrows were incredibly, incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful tools. And, and you think back in Romans day and their ability to have this shield that would cover them in such a way that they could literally hide about it behind it. And it was so strong that these arrows would literally bounce off of them. They wouldn't, they were, even though these things were strong, they could literally bounce off of them. And each soldier had his, have his own shield. Each soldier needed his own shield, and your faith is personal. You have to have your own faith. Now you can benefit from, um, you know, from the people around you, and, but in the end, you, you, you need your own. And we see that the Romans were able to lock their shields together, that they were able to use them, and they were able to, to, to join together to create. And this is you know, a depiction of how important it is for us to be in fellowship with one another. And how important it is for us to be able to lock our faith with one another. That we are around each other. The Bible says as, may, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Our ability to be around in, in each other and to be in fellowship and communion is the reason why we try to create opportunities like our small groups and our ladies' nights. And all of these kinds of things they are not things that we're trying to do to keep you busy. It's things that you can do and participate in so that you can be in relationship with people who have faith and can inspire you and challenge you to go further and deeper than where you are right now. Okay. You are not meant to be in battle all by yourself. Do it together. You have a greater chance of success and and helping each other out. But we have to do this. We can lock our shields together with somebody else who knows Christ and, 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 and we can, you know, be more powerful and effective that way. You know, one of the things that we look, um, um, if you look at the Roman shield, the Roman shield actually looked in a way because it was so square, it actually looked like a door. And as a matter of fact, the, the Greek word that Paul actually used, actually one of its meanings is a door. It actually talks about a door, okay. Faith is the door of your heart. Faith is the door of your heart. And the word that that Paul uses here for shield is the word that also means door. And now when we think about doors, we think about openings. All right. Every single one of us in here probably have openings in our lives. All right. And your opening may be fear it may be anxiety it may be whatever there may be all kinds of openings and things that you have in your life but God is wanting you to close the door and if you don't use faith like a shield to close the door then anything and everything can come into that door. anything and everything can come in to your life. now let me just let's just imagine for a second. Then you go home this afternoon after church. And you go home to find out that you've been robbed. And they haven't taken anything in your house. They just took your front door. Now how would that make you feel? Well, you would probably be mad. Why would somebody take a door, right? Like of all the things I got in my house, why take my door? But let's be honest. Of all the things that they could take in your house, The door is probably the one thing you're like, you know what, we need to go, we got to go replace this. We got to go get another, we can't wait for the police to find our door, right. You're going to have to just go get another door, unless you plan on just living with your door, with no door. Anybody in here feel like living with no door, right. Because what happens, wouldn't wouldn't you feel extremely vulnerable with no door, wouldn't it make you sleep good at night knowing that the door is wide open at the front of your house. What if you went to go check into a motel or a hotel, and you walked in there, it's late at night, you're like, all right, we got to stay somewhere. And, and they're like, sure, we got a room for you. Right over here on the first floor, but here's the only problem, the room doesn't have a door. <laughs> we just don't have a door for that room yet. Would you be okay with that? Huh, you want to go, 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 go spend the night in that motel room with no front door, You can't lock it. You you would feel extremely vulnerable being in a place or in a position where you are missing a door. Right? You, You would. We all would. But we do it in our spiritual lives all the time. Because we don't exercise our faith in such a way that it closes the doors in our life that we're supposed to have closed. Faith is like a door. And a lot of us do life without a front door. And we just go through life just letting anything come in. I just let anything come in. I'm just going to let anxiety come in. I'm going to let fear come in. I'm going to let worry come in. I'm going to let bad theology come in. I'm going to let procrastination and idleness and lust and I'm just gonna let anything come through my front door because I live my life with an open door. So we haven't allowed used and exercised our faith to close the door. You know there's this guy in the Bible who the enemy the Bible says that Satan went and stood before the Lord and God, God asked him, "Where you been?" And he says, oh, I've just been walking up and down the earth, just looking for people, looking for people that I can ruin." And God says, "Have you considered Job?" And he's like, "Ah, Job, Job, uh, you know, if you took everything away from him, he'll curse you. He won't love you. All this kind of stuff. They had this, all right. So then God gave." Satan permission, okay, to, to test him, to, to attack him, whatever. But, you know, if you actually look further in the book of Job, you'll see one of the reasons why this a lot of this happened to Job. In Job chapter 3, verse 25, here's, what, here's the words of Job. For what I feared the most has come upon me, and what I dreaded befalls me. What I feared the most has come upon me. Fear is an open door. Fear is an open door. It's opening the door of your life for the enemy to come in and to try to devour you. It's an open door. Job let these things come upon him because he lived in fear. Because he had fear in his life about these things. The things I feared the most has happened to me. Fear opens the door and invites the devil to come in and to mess with you. The Bible says that Satan roams around looking to see who can devour. And this means that he is moving around looking for people who leave their door open. He is looking for people who leave the door open. Don't you believe that the enemy has no place in your life? Huh? Don't you understand that the Bible says, where is Jesus right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? And the scripture says, Paul says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So, and Jesus says that that all things are under his feet, that the enemy is under his feet, that all things are subject to him and under his feet. And if he is seated with Christ and everything is under his feet and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, then we are in that position of place too. That the enemy has no right or authority over us. He has no place in our life unless we allow him to have place in our life. And it doesn't mean that that if you have faith That everything in your life is going to go good, and all the circumstances around you are going to be good. But you don't have to give in to worry, and you don't have to give in to fret. And you know that even in those trouble times that we deal with in life, you could still worship, you could still live in joy, you could still operate in peace. Because the enemy doesn't have to control your life and your emotions and the way that you live. Because we have hope, and all of all all of that. We we talked about that. So what is the door? What is the door? God is the door. in in, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1, it says, "After, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, do not fear, Abraham, I am a shield to you. I am a shield to you. I am a door to you. I am the door. The shield of faith is what allows us to be free from fear and negative thoughts. You see, negative thoughts come to you, When in times where there aren't negative circumstances. Have you ever noticed that? It's not always negative circumstances that creates negative thoughts. A lot of times you could be in a perfect place. You could be right in the middle of of peace and harmony and a lot of good stuff going on in your life. And negative thoughts will still come your way. That's because... It's part of the enemy's tactic to bring ruin and destruction into our life. It's part of the enemy's tactic to attack you, to affect you. It's not always about your circumstances that creates negative thoughts. But your negative thoughts, when you allow those things and you give into those things, they open the door. When you dwell on those things, they open the door. So we have to have faith to close the door. And in Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So we get faith when we hear God's word. We gain faith. You grow in faith when you hear the word of God. And notice that it says here that faith comes by hearing and hearing, not faith comes by having heard. Okay. You may have grown up in church. You may have heard every sermon that there is to be preached. You may have heard everything, every idea, every thought. You've read every book. You've listened to every idea. You've heard every five step, whatever, okay. But faith comes by hearing and hearing. It's doing it over and over and over again in your life. This is another reason why it's important to subject yourself to the Word of God, to find some kind of reading plan, to say, you know what, I I need to get into God's Word, I need to read His Word, I need to be a student of His Word, I need to know it. Because it doesn't matter if you read the Word a hundred times. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Over and over and over again. We need to hear it over. We need to... Be in church on a consistent basis. Why? So that we can hear the word. We need to be a part of small groups. Not only for fellowship, but so we can hear the word. We need to read God's word so that we can hear the word. And this creates faith, which helps us close doors. Doors that God doesn't want us to have open in our life. Doors that stay open and allow the enemy to come in and to affect us in the wrong kind of way. Faith comes by hearing. You know, some people have said that Paul was saying that faith was the most important piece of the army. That the shield of faith was the most important piece of the army because he says, above all, take up the shield of faith. But what Paul was really saying here, if you look a little closer, is that he's really saying that, that you ought to take the shield of, uh, he's saying basically, out in front of all. Not above all in the sense that it's the most important, but he's saying that you should take the shield of faith and it should be out in front of all. Out in front of it. That it's out there, out in front of the armor of God. So you have to keep your shield out in front of you to keep the fiery arrows from reaching you. You have to keep it out there in front of you so the arrows can't reach you. You know, there's two kinds of arrows that the enemy We'll try to shoot at you. Ones that are designed to inflame your passions. Arrows that are designed to inflame your passions. These are arrows that um, inflame our lust, our jealousy, our envy. These, These arrows are arrows that the enemy shoots at us, that shoots into our minds to inflame our passions. The other kind of, Arrows that he shoots at us are ones that are designed to engulf our emotions. This is fear, dread, worry, anxiety. All the things that are negative uses of our emotional places where we can be that are negative in in, in general. There's two kinds of arrows. Ones that he tries to inflame our passions and ones that he tries to engulf our emotions. And both of them can be just as deadly when it comes to our ability to walk in faith and be the person that God wants us to be. And we have to get to a place, listen, you have to get to a place where you don't trust your emotions. How many of you know that your emotions cannot be trusted? Okay, they cannot be trusted. Uh, Because we, we, we can have all kinds of, crazy emotions. They can come from all kinds of different places. But your emotional position, the things that you feel cannot always be trusted, okay. Your mind doesn't always know what is true or not. Did you know that? Did you know that your mind doesn't always know what is true? Isn't the Bible says this? the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart of man, who can know it? Our heart, you know, sometimes our emotional place isn't necessarily something that could be trusted in. If you're in a position where you're like, I just don't feel God. You, you can't always trust that. This, just because you don't feel God doesn't mean that his presence isn't around you. And just because you, you feel something doesn't necessarily mean that it's his presence. You're, you cannot live at an emotional level, at the level of your emotions. You'll be all over the place. You'll do all kinds of crazy stuff. It's just, it's easy to give in to your emotional being, your emotional position. But your emotions cannot be trusted. And your mind doesn't always know what's true. You know, there's um, there's this new thing out. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. It's with the uh, the Galaxy phones. Sorry, iPhone users. Okay. That's right. It's with the Galaxy phone. They got this thing now that you can actually place your galaxy phone in and you stick this thing on your head, all right. And they actually, I think they got like a new ride even at Six Flags now, it's like a roller coaster ride. And you put that thing on your head and you're sitting there and it makes you feel. And you ever been in those simulators before though where you're just, you're watching the screen. Now you actually feel like you're on a real ride, but you're not. But your mind doesn't know the difference, okay. Your mind doesn't know the difference, The same can be true, you ever had a dream before, right, where you're like falling, and you really feel like you're falling, and you wake up, and you're like, or you're, you're, you're doing something in a dream, and you wake up, and it just felt so real to you. Now, it wasn't real, but your mind didn't know the difference. At that particular moment, your mind couldn't tell what was real and what was not real. Have you ever been... Mad at someone because you thought that they had done something or they had said something only to later find out that what you had imagined that they had done or they had said that they didn't really do it at all? No, nah, you you would never do that, would you? Come on, right? But in your mind, your mind told you it happened. Your mind told you it happened. They said it. They did it. I know they did I knew it. And you get all worked up and you get all upset. You probably say some things you shouldn't say only to find out later on that all the information you thought you had and you thought was true wasn't really true. It's because you can't always trust it. You can't always trust it. You can't trust your emotions. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that it's necessarily from the spirit of the Lord. be you fleshing out that right there that thought listen that thought they did something they don't like me because they i think they gave me a negative look or they didn't say hi to me or whatever it is that thought that's there okay that's a flaming arrow of the enemy inside our mind and it sits there and then we start dwelling on it and it opens doors. It opens doors of anxiety. It opens doors of hurt, feelings of rejection, allows our insecurities to take over our life. Okay, And the enemy just for me just firing those arrows just to see which one will sink. Let me just see which one of these things is going to stick. You know, there are three different kinds of Arrows that uh, the Romans used to use and the enemies of Rome used to shoot against them. Three different kinds of arrows. One of the arrows uh, that that was the most common was an arrow that just had an iron tip. It was very predictable in flight. It was, you know, that iron tip allowed it to, to, to make sure it went straight and they were able to have a lot more accuracy with that particular tip. There was another type of arrow where they took that iron tip and they dipped it in tar. And then they would light it on fire, and it becomes a flaming arrow. And they were able to shoot this thing. You've seen these things where maybe they were wanting to light a, a wagon of hay on fire or something like that. You know, and they shoot one of those arrows, and it sticks in the hay, and everything lights up. There was a third kind of arrow that, that uh, they used to shoot back in the day. And what they would do is they would there was this type of wood. It was almost like a bamboo-type wood that it was hollow in the middle. All right? It was, it was hollow in the middle, and they were able to uh, cut those things and shape them and form them into arrows. And then they would take those, those, those sticks that were hollow in the middle, and they would put flammable substance throughout the middle of that arrow. So then what they did is they took that arrow, and they would light it on fire. And when they would shoot that arrow, that arrow would fly. And as soon as it hit, it would splinter, causing all of that flammable material to splash out, spreading fire everywhere just would just engulf what it would hit and this is where paul says this is actually the specific arrow that paul is referring to when he talks about the flaming arrows of the evil one the flaming arrows the ones that come and they hit and they just they just explode they explode in our mind these thoughts that come in and then we dwell on them then they they just create havoc they create havoc inside of you. It creates fear. It creates anxiety and worry. And Paul is saying that you have to take up the shield of faith. The attack of the enemy is designed to bring chaos into your mind. It is designed to bring chaos. Robert, if you'll come. The enemy wants to bring chaos into your mind, to bring chaos into your life. And you cannot let that happen. You have to be able to know what is acceptable and what is not. You have to know what is acceptable. What are ex- this is the reason why, another reason why Paul says, think on these things. Whatsoever things are pure and holy and upright and are good report, these are the things that you need to think about. Don't allow these flaming arrows that the enemy shoots at you and finally one of them bad boys sticks inside your mind. Because you don't have the faith to close that particular door and to shut that thing down when it comes in and tries to hit you. And so you allow it to rest inside your mind and explodes there. And the next thing you know it creates chaos in your life. It creates chaos in your relationships. It creates chaos in your health and your ability to do and be the person that God wants you to be. Because now you've been, now you're so focused on all this stuff going on around you because you've allowed yourself to be uh, attacked by the enemy. You know, just because something happens to you doesn't mean that it's God's will. You understand that, right? Just because something happens to you doesn't mean it's the will of God. Well, Brother Paul... Eh, you know it just it happens so it must be God. You know there are many things that we can allow to go on in our lives because we don't have faith in that particular area. There are many things listen, there are many things that you can allow, to continue to go on in your life because you don't have faith to close that door. You don't have the faith to close that particular door. Just because something is happening to you, just because something is happening around you, just because you find yourself in some difficult circumstances, doesn't necessarily mean that 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 is God's will. Now God can take that thing and he can use it for his good and he can take those darkest moments of our life and he can use them for his glory. But just because he's able to take those dark things and use them for his good doesn't mean that he's the author of them. And sometimes we allow these things to exist into our life because we don't have faith in a particular area of when it comes to God's promises for our life. And because we don't have faith for that area. Listen, faith is more than you just believing in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead and now you're saved. Faith is much more than, than just about your salvation. Even though it takes faith to receive salvation. It takes faith to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It takes faith to receive healing. It takes faith to receive any of God's promises. But a lot of times we will just allow ourselves to exist In this place where the enemy is just just having his way with us. And we wonder where God is. And God says, I gave you my word and I told you to stand your ground against the schemes of the enemy. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. When he tries to create division, don't let him win. When he tries to create strife, don't let him win. When he tries to inflame your passions, don't let him win. When he tries to engulf your emotions, do not let him win. You have the word of God, and you can stand on his promises, and you can use his word to say, you may have knocked me down once, you may have knocked me down twice, but I'm going to get back up and I'm going to believe by faith that I will overcome this. And I'm not going to be a victim to these schemes and these attacks from the enemy of my life. Come on, our purpose here on earth is far too valuable us to be wrapped up and playing these mind games with people. We have purpose and God wants to li- us to live out our destiny and our purpose here on earth. And he doesn't want us, to, you know, fighting all these petty issues that are around us because we keep allowing the enemy to allow us to be consumed with all these things that don't really matter. We got to fight the real fight that God has called you to fight. You are in a battle. Whether you like it one way or another, you are in a battle. And you have got to fight if you want to win. Otherwise, the enemy will create idleness, he'll create apathy, he'll create religion, he'll do whatever it is to create anything inside of you other than somebody who is a passionate follower of Jesus. And you have to have the faith to close the doors that need to be closed. Will you stand to your feet today?